0: Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our sermon series from 1 Samuel, A Personal God. We hope that the sermon will be an encouragement to you and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. And let's take our Bibles today and let's go to 1 Samuel chapter number nine. 1 Samuel chapter nine, we're continuing our study uh, in 1 Samuel and I'm looking forward to uh to our time here and to getting back into uh, the series that we've been going through, A Personal God, really just understanding that God is very interested in relationship, and uh, today we're going to see that in a really a great way, and as we find ourselves in 1 Samuel chapter number nine, we're coming back into the lives of the people, the children of Israel, the people of God, and of course, if you'll remember with me what took place last week, we listened in and we were there as the, uh, the children of Israel requested. Requested a king and it wasn't necessarily uh, wrong that they would request a king. We're going to see actually Deuteronomy Deuteronomy 17. God had promised them a king, but what was wrong was the timing. Uh, The reason they were requesting a king was because they were actually rejecting the leadership of the Lord, and Samuel, he knew that it wasn't the right timing. It wasn't the right decision, and so he he tells the people, hey, listen, this isn't going to work out like you think it's going to work out. This isn't going to be something that that you think it's going to be. It's not going to turn out the way you think. And he, uh, Samuel rebuked the people. He kind of went through um, kind of the direction of the Lord. God said, hey, tell them it's not going to be what they think it is. And so he got into that. And if you remember with us from last week that the people said, we don't care. We don't care. It's not going to work out for us. We still are going to demand a king. And <clears throat> Samuel, as he warned the people, we find that they still make that irrational and impulsive and really kind of an ignorant decision. As we think about the children of Israel with that, no doubt you've been around somebody or you've dealt with somebody who's made decisions like that. I can think of maybe a kid that you give money to. I remember a phase that we went through with our kids, and of course they're uh, here this morning, but a phase that we went through was that every dime that they came in, every dime that they got, they wanted to spend it. Every single thing. If they got a dollar, they wanted to go to the Dollar Tree. If they got $10, they wanted to go to Walmart and buy a new set of Legos. And uh, maybe you have a, a child. How many of you have a kid that has done that before? Raise your hand. I see those hands. I see them out there on TV. I'm just kidding. If you raised your hand at home... I got you. But you know what? Every one of us, we've been through those situations, and we've seen that where somebody gets money, and they immediately want to spend it. And I remember trying to help the kids and teach them that just because you have money doesn't mean you need to spend the money. Just because you got a dollar doesn't mean you need to go to Dollar Tree. Or maybe we would encourage them, maybe, you know, why don't you save up so you can get something good? You don't need a 35th Lego set. You don't need that right now. Instead, why don't you save up and get something for somebody else at Christmas time, or something like that? We would encourage them, don't just buy things now. Instead, wait, something better is gonna come along. It's not that spending money on Legos is bad. It's just it wasn't good timing. Well, this is what was taking place with the people of Israel and their relationship with God. You see, the decision to have a king It wasn't a bad decision. It was the timing. They were rejecting the leadership of the Lord. So them deciding to want a king wasn't the problem. The problem was that they were getting ahead of God on their decision. It was not God's timing. God had a plan for them, but they were rejecting the timing of his plan And they were basically declaring, we know better than God. We know what's best for us. The truth of the matter is this morning that every single one of us can get to that place where we feel like we know what's better than God knows. We know better than God knows. And we can get to the place where we get ahead of God, the place where we begin to think that I know God may have a plan with this, but... I think better. But my question today is, what does God do when we get to that place? What does God do when we get to the place of being ahead of God? Well, what did he do with the children of Israel? That's what we're gonna look at this morning and use that to help us. And so 1 Samuel chapter number nine this morning, 1 Samuel chapter nine, we're gonna read verse one and two, and then we're gonna kind of skip to chapter 10 and skip around a little bit. So 1 Samuel chapter number nine, and verse number one, I want to read that with us this morning. Now, there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abel, the son of Zoror, a son of Bekoroth, man, say that name five times fast, fast, a son of Aphi, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a choice young man and goodly. And there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he from his shoulders and upward he was higher than any of the people. Skip over, if you will, to first Samuel chapter ten. First Samuel ten. So in first Samuel nine, we're introduced to Saul, first Samuel ten, verse one. Then Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it upon his head, Saul's head, and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be captain over Saul? His inheritance. So Samuel is anointing Saul as that first king. Now skip down to verse number 25. It says this, then Samuel told the people the manner of the kingdom and wrote it in a book and laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. Now we go through that kind of quickly, but you say, pastor, what's taking place? Well, here's what you have. You have God's people, chapter eight, requesting a king. Chapter nine, God directs them to Saul as a leader. We're gonna discover some things about Saul, but God, he gives them Saul as a king. Chapter 10, Saul is anointed before the people, and then at the end of chapter 10, they all kind of just go their way. So there's a lot taking place, but in the midst of this passage, I really see what God does in a person's life, in a, in a group's life, in the people of Israel's life. I see what God does when people get ahead of him. And here's just a simple sentence that we could say that would really summarize it. When you and I get ahead of God, God doesn't give up on us. When we get ahead of God, God does not give up on us. We're gonna see that true in, their, in the life of Israel, And I believe today we'll see the same is true in our lives, that when we begin to take matters into our own hands, we make those impulsive, irrational, and irresponsible decisions and get ahead of God. I'm thankful this morning that God doesn't go, fine, I'm done. I'm thankful today that God still does some things in your life and my life, even when we get ahead of him. Let's ask the Lord to bless our time together. I know we've already prayed, but let's ask him once again and uh, to speak to our hearts. And with your heads bowed and eyes closed, why don't you give God permission this morning to speak to you? You can pray something simple of, dear God, please speak to me. Dear God, please speak to me. And then maybe just commit to the Lord. God, as you speak to me, I'm listening to you. I'll respond to you today. Dear Lord, thank you for the day. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for how you use it to speak to us. And Lord, I pray this morning as we get into the word, I pray God that you'd help us. I pray Father that you would help the Bible come to life in, in our lives today that we would see how we can apply it to our hearts this week and Lord, I pray that as we get into the word, Father that you would meet and work in every need of the hearts of those that are uh, viewing today those that are part of our service God that you would just work in each one of us and Lord, I pray that as you work that you would give us courage to respond to you and Lord to make decisions based upon how you speak to us and Father, if there is someone watching today that does not know that heaven is where they would spend eternity I pray that you'd help them today to come to know you as Savior. We love you. We thank you for loving us, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we come to this passage and we talk about getting ahead of God, I want us to start by understanding really what what it is we're talking about. What exactly does it mean for you and I to get ahead of God, and, and how can we do it? I want to just bring out a few ways today, and there's a number of ways that we can get ahead of God, but I just want to give you a few things that we can kind of lay down as the foundation. First, I think of people who get ahead of God in relationships. Let's think just for a minute, maybe for a single person maybe for someone who's single that's waiting for the Lord to bring them uh, a right relationship. All the staff just looked at Carlos. Carlos, we're not picking on you, man. Uh, But uh, I think of a single person who's waiting for God to bring them that right relationship. They can get ahead of God by trying to make things happen themselves. Maybe this is the person that's constantly uh, putting themselves out there as available and, and looking. And instead of putting God first, they're, they're just totally seeking, putting their, uh, I don't know if Carlos has done this. I'm not picking on you, Carlos. Uh, maybe they put their name on the, all the single websites, you know, and that I'm looking and I love warm walks on the beach and I love this and I love that. And they're just out there trying to pursue their own relationship. Not that those things are bad, But sometimes we can get ahead of God. And someone in a relationship, they can begin to think, you know, I feel like God's forgotten that I don't have a relationship and I want one. And so they begin to kind of push the agenda themselves. I think of married couples. Married couples can get ahead of God. Maybe things aren't working out like they thought they should. And so instead of giving God time and putting God first and maybe allowing God to work and heal and to help, they just abandon ship. Or maybe they become manipulative or dishonest. They get ahead of God because this isn't something they signed up for. Well, my spouse isn't what I thought they were, and so they begin to make some changes. Or maybe, since my spouse isn't meeting needs in one area or another that I think they should, then I'm going to find that need or get that need met through somebody else. I think about people who get emotionally connected to a coworker or become physically attracted to somebody else other than their spouse. They're getting ahead of God. They're trying to meet that need in a way that God did not want them to. I think of people who get ahead of God in our finances. Believe it or not, every now and then, we can get ahead of God in thinking that we need something that really we don't need yet. I would probably right now speak to a lot of the younger generation that are out there. I know uh, myself as a young man, still consider myself a young man, though I'm becoming middle aged. But uh, you know what? As a, as a young man, um, I know that my generation and the generations below me, they begin to think, well, I want what mom and dad have, I want it now. And so we've seen maybe our parents have a house and a car and things like that. Then you have the 19 and 20 and 21 year old that are thinking, well, I need a house and a car. And so instead of waiting and saving and making good stewardship decisions, they go into debt to get all of those things and the new truck and the new cars and the, uh, the new bikes and the, and the new toys, the boats and different things like that. At 19, 20, 21, instead of saving money and making good investments, they get ahead of God. Not that those things are bad, but it just might not be God's timing. I think of other people who get ahead of God, maybe uh, putting things, you know, just charging it, uh, put it on a credit card. And we just, we, I want that, and so we got to get it. Well, I, I, don't, I, I think that what they have is better than what I have. And so I need to improve what I have. And again, not that purchasing things is bad, but sometimes we can get ahead of God. Okay, that's where the children of Israel were. They were making decisions that were irrational, that were impulsive that we're irresponsible. But I want us to see today when they did that and when we make those decisions, because the truth is every single one of us can do that. We can get ahead of God in one way or another. And again, there's so many other illustrations. But when we get ahead of God, when we make those decisions, what does God do? I want you to notice, first of all, if you will, that when we get ahead of God, number one, God still directs. God still directs. As you come to 1 Samuel chapter 9 and 10 this morning again, we're coming into the time of the children of Israel's life. They just requested a king. Deuteronomy 17, God had already promised them that they would have a king. It just wasn't his timing. They were done with following the Lord and his leadership and the judges that God had put in place. And instead, they said, we want a king. We know what we want, and we want it now. They didn't hear the warning of, of Samuel, that they would regret the decision. Remember, the Lord said, hey, you're gonna cry to me and I'm not gonna hear you. It's not the Lord saying, I'm resisting, I'm not gonna have any relationship. It was God saying, hey, you're gonna cry to me and it's too late. You've already, you've already gone down that road. You're gonna cry to me. You're gonna wanna want things to be the way they used to be. But once you make this decision, there's no going back. That's what the Lord was saying to them. And they disregarded that. Instead, we read that they say, all right, we don't care. We want a king. But what I find interesting is what the Lord did next. God didn't say, okay, fine, go find a king. God said, all right, if you want a king, let's at least try to get you a good one. And he directed them to a man by the name of Saul. If you were to go and read the story of 1 Samuel, you'd discover that God uses some missing donkeys to bring Saul to Samuel. And then he reveals to Samuel that Saul is going to be the next king. Look, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter 9. Saul and his servant have been out looking for uh, these missing donkeys. And you find this taking place in 1 Samuel 9, verse 15 through 17. It says, Now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear a day before Saul came, saying, Tomorrow about this time I will send thee a man out of the land of Benjamin, And thou shalt anoint him to be captain over my people Israel, that he may save my people out of the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people because their cry has come unto me. And when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord said unto him, Behold, the man whom I spake to thee of, this same shall reign over my people. What does God do in this passage? Well, God directs Samuel to anoint Saul. The Lord knew that Saul was a man that was qualified for the job of leading. He's trying to, if I can say it this way, he's trying to set the people up for success. Some of you who know the word of God, you might say, well, I know the end of Saul's life. Right, right, right. We're not talking about the end of his life. We're talking right now at the beginning. He was set up as a man that could help lead the people of Israel. You know what God was still doing? He was still trying to help them to succeed. Well, what do we know about Saul? I mean, why would Saul be the right man for for the job? Well, if you were to go and do some research and again, we don't have the time to really do all of it, but you would find in 1 Samuel chapter number 9 that Saul had a desire and he had a heart to honor God. He had a desire and a heart to honor God. In the story, what's taking place, Saul and his servants. his servant, they're out searching for these missing donkeys, and the servant says to Saul, hey, I know the man of God lives in this city. Let's go to the man of God. And Saul's response to the servant shows us that Saul had a desire to honor God. What was Saul's response? Look with me, if you will, at 1 Samuel 9, verse 7 and 8. It says this, then said Saul to his servant, but behold, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread is spent in our vessels and there is not a present to bring to the man of God what we have what have we and the servant answered Saul again and said he went through some things and he said uh, behold here have uh, here i have at hand the fourth part of a shekel of silver Uh, that will I give the man of God to tell us our way. And then verse 10, then said Saul to his servant, well said, come, let us go. So they went into the city where the man of God was. What do we see here taking place? Well, the servant says, hey, let's go find the man of God. And Saul's heart is, "We we need to bring an offering. I don't believe Saul's heart in this was, we need to bring an offering because the man of God might strike us down. He was honoring the office of the man of God. That would be like you and I bringing an offering to church. Uh, You're not bringing an offering, you know, when we come to church or we give. We're not giving to the pastor or the staff. We're giving to the church. We're giving to the Lord so that God's work can continue forward. Well, why are we doing that? Well, because we believe scripturally, the Bible says that we should honor God. Well, how do we honor God? One of the ways we honor God is by giving back to him. That's what Saul's doing in the passage. He had a heart to honor God. All right, so we know that Saul, he was the man for the job. Why? He had a heart to honor God. Why else? Well, he was humble. At the beginning days of his life, Saul was humble. When you go and you find uh, uh, Saul being introduced, you begin to discover that Saul had humility during his early years. We see it for the first time when Samuel first tells Saul that he's going to be king. Here's Saul's response in 1 Samuel chapter 9, Verse 20, part B and 21, here's what it says. It says, and on whom is, this is Samuel speaking to Saul, on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on thee and on thy father's house? Notice Saul's answer. And Saul answered and said, am not I a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel and my family, the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Wherefore then speakest thou so to me? What was Saul's response. Saul's response was, don't you know where I'm from? Don't you know the tribe that I belong to? Don't you know uh, that my tribe, Benjamin, is the least of the tribes, and then my family within the tribe is the least of the families within the tribe? I am nobody. But Why would he say that? Well, I believe it's because of his humility. So we know that Saul, he had a heart to honor God. He had a, a heart that was humble. We see it again. Uh, we won't read the passage, but 1 Samuel chapter 10, when they're going to uh, anoint Saul as king, you know what he does? It says that he went and he hid himself. He hid himself in the barn. He hid himself away from everybody. I believe that Saul, he was a little timid and reserved, but I believe that that points us us to his humility. You see, I believe that Saul was the right man for the job. Why? Because he had a heart to honor God. He was humble, but then also, if you go and you read the entire story, you'll discover that Saul was open to the Lord. Saul was open to the leading of God. When Samuel told Saul that he would be king, Samuel told Saul some of the things that would take place. One of those things specifically is that the Lord, through the Holy Spirit of God, would come upon Saul and change him from the inside out. You can see it in verse number six of chapter 10. It says, and the spirit of the Lord will come upon thee and thou shalt uh, prophesy with them and shalt be turned into another man. You're gonna be turned into another man. You know what Saul's response to all of that was? His response was surrender. Saul went he was sure the Lord, and that took place in his life. It, in fact, happened, and Saul, he allowed God to do that. He say, Pastor, why are you pointing all of these things out? Well, I'm pointing these things out because in all of this, what God was doing was he was still directing his people. They had gotten ahead of God, but what did God do? He said, okay, I can still work with you. I'll still direct you, and they directed the people to Saul. They brought someone with potential, someone who was surrendered to the Lord, someone who was humble, someone who feared God and wanted to honor, honor God, someone who had a heart to follow God. God was setting the people up for success. Even though they were making an irrational and impulsive decision, getting ahead of God, God was saying, I still desire to lead you in the right direction. Can I just tell you this morning that when you and I get ahead of God, God doesn't give up on us he still wants to direct us. He still wants to lead us. God is not about just leaving his children out in the cold. No, he, because of who he is and because of his character, he still desires to direct every step we take. Again, I think right now of somebody who's maybe gotten ahead of God in their life at one point or another, maybe it was with you in a relationship or a job or a financial decision, even though you went down that road, God never abandoned you. And yes, while there are some undesired consequences from decisions, we've got to know that God still wants to lead and direct. I think of what, he, what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 31, verse 1 through 3, in thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Never, or let me never be ashamed, deliver me in thy righteousness, bow down thine ear to me, deliver me speedily, be thou my rock, for in a house of defense to save me. Notice verse 3, for thou art my rock and my fortress, therefore for thy name's sake lead me and guide me. You want to know why God doesn't give up on you? It's not because of who we are, it's because of who he is man, he will still lead and guide for his namesake. Man, I'm so thankful that God, for his namesake, still desires to direct me. I think of that well-known verse in Proverbs 3, 6, in all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Man, you know what? When I'm when I'm acknowledging the Lord God, I need you, God says, great, I'm gonna come in and direct you. And the children of Israel in this passage, even though they had gotten ahead of God, God was still saying through Samuel, Samuel was saying, God, we still need you in this. And and God said, all right, I'm gonna direct you. I'm gonna direct your path. I'm gonna bring you Saul, someone who wants to honor me, who's humble before me, who's open before me. Man, I'm so thankful today that God doesn't give up on us when we get ahead of him. He still directs. What does God do when we get ahead of him? Well, number one, God still directs. Number two, God still speaks. God still speaks. Let's consider again everything that's been taking place and let's put ourselves, while we consider this, in the position of God. Let's see how we would wanna respond to this situation. If we were in the position of God leading these people, they're experiencing blessing, things are going well, And then they decide, we don't want to follow you anymore. We want to make the decisions. We no longer want what you want, but we want what we want. If you and I were in the position of God, what would you do? I know what I would probably do is, fine, be that way. And I'd give them the cold shoulder. Say, well, how do you know that? Because I've done that. Man, times when maybe my kids say, well, I'm going to do it my way. And as a father, sometimes I'll just go, fine. We'll see where that gets you. You know what? That's not the response that God has. And I'm so thankful God doesn't give us the cold shoulder when we get ahead of him. What does God do? Well, God still wants to speak his truth into our lives. We see this, and we don't have time to go through all of the verses, but we see it in God's communication to Samuel. God was wanting to lead the people by still being uh, in communication. With Samuel, and he spoke to Samuel multiple times through this passage, chapter nine and chapter 10, as Samuel is anointing Saul as king, God is leading him, He's speaking to him, and uh, I, I don't know about you and I, but I'd just get fed up if someone said, uh, "Lead me, don't lead me, lead me, don't lead me, lead me, don't lead me, man. I just want to throw my hands up, and yet we don't see God doing that. We see God saying, "All right, I'll still direct you, and I'll still speak to you." The Lord says, "You know what? Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me, but I'm not rejecting them. I still speak to them. I still love them. And the Lord, he continues to speak to Samuel and Samuel to the people. It's God speaking to the people through him. And if you were to continue reading in 1 Samuel, you would find all the way through the entire book, God still speaks to his people. He still wants to have that relationship with them. And some might say, well, uh, this isn't, that's not what the Lord said. Remember, God said, you're gonna cry to me and I won't hear you. But again, God wasn't saying, you're gonna cry to me and I'm going to reject you. No, God's saying, hey, if—if if you, you gotta understand, once you go down this road, there's no going back. Think about the verse, verse number 18 of 1 Samuel 8. God said this, and you shall cry out in that day because of your king which ye have chosen, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. It was the Lord saying, hey, once you go down that direction, there's no going back. Once you make the decision, you're gonna call out for a miracle, but it doesn't work that way. But in no way was God saying, I am done with the relationship. You're gonna cry out to me, and I've abandoned you. That's not what God does. No, God still directs, and God still speaks. You see, God doesn't do that with his people in the sense of leaving us. No, he wanted to speak to them and continue that relationship with them. And you and I, when we get ahead of God, listen, when we get ahead of God, he does not just cut us off. He does not just toss us out. He desires to speak to us and into our life because he wants to maintain a healthy relationship. He still wants to speak to our hearts through his word. I think about the promise that's given in the Old Testament and recounted for us in Hebrews 13, five, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. Listen, there's no clauses there, all right? If you make this choice, then I'm done with you. No, listen, we've got to understand that even though we have the times when we may maybe reject the Lord and rebel against him and get away from him uh, or get ahead of him, God doesn't just wash his hands and say, fine, I'm done. God says, I still want to speak into your life. And if you're a believer and you know Christ is your savior, can I tell you that as long as there is breath in your lungs, the Lord desires to speak to you. Our choice is to hear him or not hear him. And the children of Israel, they could have said in this moment, we know that, Saul, we know that God has anointed Saul, but Samuel, we don't want Saul. We don't want to hear what God has for us. They could have chosen that. But on God's end, God was not rejecting them. God was still speaking into their life. I think about Revelation chapter three and verse number 20. A lot of people liken this to a quote unquote salvation verse. But this is a verse that's written to believers. And here's what it says. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. This is written from God to one of the churches. Hey, you've locked me out. I'm on the outside. I'm wanting to speak to you, but you're not letting me in. And I would hope today that we would understand that the Lord, he is constantly trying to speak to his children, regardless of where we are at in our relationship. When you and I get ahead of God, God still speaks into your life. Man, what a blessing. What a blessing to know that no matter what decisions I make, no matter how I get ahead of God, God still directs and God still speaks. But I want you to notice lastly with me this morning that God, he still builds. When we get ahead of God, when we make an irrational, impulsive, and irresponsible decision, he still directs, he still speaks, but he also still builds. Notice, if you will, as God sets up Saul to be king in the sight of all Israel, I want you to see with me what God does in 1 Samuel chapter 10 and verse number 26. It says, Saul also went home to Gibeah and there went with him a band of men whose hearts God had touched. A band of men whose hearts God had touched had touched. If you're uh, one of our guys that go to our men's retreat every year, uh, maybe you might remember a couple years ago, and I still have it, a little piece of duct tape uh, put in my Bible from a lesson that, that I did up there talking about uh, binding our heart to the one that God uh, uses to lead us. What did God do in this passage? God took Saul and said, all right, Saul, I'm not going to let you lead the people alone. I'm gonna glue some men to you. That phrase right there, it says, whose heart God's, or a a band of men, it means to be bound, to be completely glued to. So here's what God did. I believe this is not only something that God did for Saul, but also that God did for the children of Israel. He built people around Saul to help that success move forward. I'm gonna put people around Saul for the nation of Israel, so that it's not just falling on one man. You see, the fear of one person being the one who makes all the decisions means that they could uh, begin to go down a wrong road. But here's what God said. No, 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 I'm not gonna do that to you. You're my people. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna give you the right man for the job, someone to help lead, and then I'm gonna glue people around him that will help you have success. God was building people around Saul to help him be successful in his leadership. This would be a blessing for the people of Israel. Now it's not up to just one man. Saul, he already had a mindset that he couldn't lead the people. And Samuel said to Saul, the Lord's gonna do it. And here's the Lord once again showing up to say, all right, I'm gonna lead. I'm gonna let you lead, but I'm gonna put people around you. You know what God does in your life and my life when we get ahead of him? God will still build people around us to help direct us in the right direction. And this is what I wanna point out today that when you and I are careful, if or excuse me, when you and I are, are uh, uh, um, impulsive and irrational and get ahead of God, if we're not careful, we will think that we are totally alone. We will think that the Lord has abandoned us. Well, why do we think that? Because we feel guilty, we feel frustrated, we feel ashamed, we feel regretful, and we often, we, become, we just feel alone. But the truth is that God does not leave us alone. He still builds people around us. He builds himself around us in order to help us open our eyes and realize I'm not alone during this. There's something I want us to see and understand today is that in your life and mine, as we get ahead of God, because of our guilt, because we, we know Don't we? We know that I shouldn't have made that decision. Man, that was irrational, that was impulsive. Ah, And we maybe have that repentance. Lord, I'm sorry, but like the children of Israel, once we've made that decision, we can't go back, we can't back things up. And so we kind of have that guilt with us and in us. And if we're not careful, that guilt can drive a wedge in between our relationship with God. And so we begin to think, well, I can't believe I messed up that bad boy, God probably is gonna be done with me. But what I want us to see this morning is God's not done with us. As long as we're still breathing, God still has a plan with us. And though there have been mistakes that have been made and natural consequences that take place, God still directs, God still speaks, and God still builds people around us to help us remember him, be directed back to him, and understand God's still very much in control. I think today about people who are part of our service here today or uh, online today. Many who could probably think of times when you got ahead of God, but God brought somebody into your life that continued, that, that helped you continue building towards God. Maybe it was a friend or a loved one or a pastor or a coworker. There was somebody who came alongside you and who God used to build you toward him. So what does God do when we get ahead of him? Well, he still directs. He still speaks and he still builds. I'm so thankful that God doesn't give up on me when I get ahead of him. But this morning before we finish, can I tell you what often causes us to get ahead of God? It's one word, it's our own discontentment. We get ahead of God because we become discontent with our life and what's taking place. You see, Israel was discontent with the way things were and the way things were done. And so they were done with God's leadership. Lord, you are dragging your feet on this. You're not doing what we want you to. And so they were discontent with their relationship, discontent with the leadership set up. And so what they do, they made that impulsive, irrational decision and demanded a king. We want a king now. Why? Because of discontentment. And in your life and my life, it is the same discontentment that leads us to get ahead from God. We become discontent with our relationship status. Married, well, she's not meeting my needs. He's not who he said he was. Single, well, when will I be married? When can I find somebody? We become discontent. Financial situation, I need more. I need this, I need that. Why? Because I'm discontent with what I have. Job situation, well, I need that job because my job isn't, well, I need that because we're discontent with that job. People, I think about people with living conditions, well, I'm just going to move from this place to this place or this house to that house, and there's always just constantly going, searching for something new, a whole change of scenery. Why? Because of discontentment. You see, discontentment can desire that change of scenery, and I want to encourage you in a couple of things this morning. First, I wanna say this, Proverbs 24, 21, it says this, my son, fear thou the Lord and the king and meddle not with them that are given to change. If you're around people, if you are somebody who's constantly discontent and seeing changes, man, the Bible warns against that mentality. Hey, meddle not with that. Don't be given to change. Don't be one that's constantly discontent. We need to be made aware of the spirit of discontentment that can creep into our lives. And what we need to do is instead determine, determine to be content with what God has done in your life and what God is doing in your life. Well, why? What's that going to do? It's going to help us to stop from getting ahead of God. Discontentment pushes me to get ahead of God but contentment draws me back to realize, God, I can trust you. God, you know my financial situation. I'm not going to make decisions unless you direct. God, you know my relationship status. God, you know what's going on at the workplace. I'm not going to make hasty decisions because of discontentment. No, I'm going to keep God first and not get ahead of Him. I'm going to learn to be content. Paul wrote in Philippians four, eleven. Now that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. He wrote to Timothy that godliness with contentment is a great gain. Well, why did, why did Paul write that? I think Paul knew and understood that discontentment leads us to getting away from God and getting ahead from God or ahead of God. But God desires that we would walk with him with a content heart. Can I encourage you today, don't allow the devil to use your discontentment to cause you to get ahead of the Lord. Don't get discontent in areas of your life. Instead, determine, I can be content on the Lord, and I can wait on the Lord. Waiting on his leadership, waiting on his timing in every situation. You see, because the fact is that every single Christian, every believer, If you know Christ is your Savior, every one of us are tempted to be discontent often. And that discontentment, all it's gonna do is drive a wedge in my relationship with the Lord. It's gonna cause me to get ahead of him. And so today I wanna encourage you, instead of getting ahead of God, just step back and find contentment in who the Lord is and in what he has. But if you're a part of the service today and you've already gotten ahead of God in one way or another, Can I encourage you with this? God, because of who he is, because of his grace, and because of his love, he's not done with you. Man, there's so many people out there that say, well, pastor, I've already made that mistake. Listen, I'm so thankful that God works with mistakes because that's every one of us. He says, I love you. I still wanna direct you. I still wanna speak to you. I still want to build people around you. I still can work with this. Many of us, we've, if you've raised kids, then you know what a kid is like when they're working with Play-Doh or Legos. I remember our kids early on, they would be building with Legos and that 35th set that they went ahead and bought anyway. Uh, they'd be building with that. And I remember I would come in when they were, when they were maybe three, four, five years old, just that little Lego set. And, and they'd say, dad, look, I built a castle. And really it was just like four or five Lego blocks and one little guy on top. You know, it was kind of just like a wall. Wasn't a castle, just a wall. And I'd say, all right, man, you did good with that. But let's really build a castle. And so we'd get all the Legos out and we'd sit down and we'd begin to build a castle, build up all the walls and little uh, rooms inside and put all the uh, different uh, parts of the castle together and all the little uh, men that would be guarding it. We'd have the drawbridge and the moat around it. We had everything going on. And at the end of it, they go, wow, man, dad, that's a castle. And it took all of us together building it. You know what happens in our lives? Sometimes we come to God And we're like, God, look what I have. It's nothing. You know what God does? He says, I can work with that. (laughs) Let me build. Let me work. If you've gotten ahead of God, he's not done with you. He still speaks. He still directs. He still builds. But this morning, I would encourage you that just because God still speaks and still builds and still directs, that doesn't give us license to get ahead of him. There might be somebody who would say, well, since God's not gonna give up on me, I might as well make that choice. No, on the contrary, because God loves us, because God gives us grace, because God doesn't give up on me, those are all the more reason to be content with him and to trust him, to not get ahead of him. His timing and his plans, they're perfect. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit MosesLakeBaptistChurch.com.